When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm Pythian Priestess, and you're listening to The Devil's Music Podcast. Pantheon Podcast presents, from Hollywood, California, The Devil's Music with Pleasant Gaiman. You are invited to join the Hollywood princess as she explores her lifelong pursuits in the occult, sex, love, and that sinful rock and roll. Ladies and gentlemen, step into the dark parlor of Pleasant Gaiman as she brings you The Devil's Music. Hey there, this is Pleasant Gaiman and you're listening to The Devil's Music, a Pantheon podcast. A little bit about me. I'm a punk rock witch from Hollywood, California. I've had a lifelong passion for rock and roll and the occult that started when I was a preteen. In the 70s, I was one of the first punks in LA. And as a teenager, I worked at the Whiskey A Go-Go, started producing shows, and made a Xerox fanzine called Lobotomy, which led me to write for every major rock publication you could think of. In the 80s and the 90s, I fronted three bands. I'm a best-selling author with eight books out and more on the way. For the past 30 years, I've toured around the globe to teach and perform dance. You might have also seen me acting or dancing in music videos, feature films, and documentaries. Look for me in the new Go-Go's documentary. To find out more about me or to book a tarot reading, go to my website, pleasantgaiman.com. I'm really excited to be part of the Pantheon Podcast's network of rock and roll shows. Everyone here at Pantheon tells stories about the music we just adore so much, each and every one with a different twist. Find them all wherever you listen to podcasts at Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Pandora, anywhere you get your favorite podcast fix. And head on over to PantheonPodcast.com to share a show with a friend. Or be damned to purgatory forever. The sicky sadist who hides behind his police badge to commit crimes of violence against other people. Whatever role they're playing, these creeps are always the same. Because a pig is a pig, and that's that. Hey everybody, this is Pleasant Gaiman, and you're listening to the Devil's Music Podcast. Today, my guest is West Beach, guitarist for the Accidents, Wendy O. Williams, the Blood Farmers, and the Plasmatics. We kind of met on Twitter 
So we're Twitter friends, but we haven't met in real life. And this, it, it maybe we did meet in real life, though. We're going to talk about that in a while, or at least we were in the same places at real life. In real life, I mean. Um, so anyhow, Wes and I became friends. And um, thank you for the rock, um, the Reform School Girls soundtrack that you just got. Oh, cool. Glad you got it. Because yeah, uh, we... Um, we we were both on that record and <laughs> he just sent it to me in the mail today are you happy to know all of our personal business with, with no further ado here's Wes <laughs> <laughs> all right it's it's an honor to be here uh, pleasant i've been looking forward to this for a long time yay i know um i i i've been wanting to have you on for a while and it wasn't until we had our our twitter discussion the other night that I was like, I should just, I should go ahead and just do this. <laughs> and anyway, so um, you're in Michigan right now, right? Right, just the Detroit suburbs. And were you born? You were born there, yeah? No, I was born in Brooklyn. Oh, really? I couldn't tell by yeah. your accent because it kind of had that that sort of Michigany twang. But now, but now that you say Brooklyn, I can totally hear it. <laughs> yeah, and I, I grew up on Long Island. Long Island. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I moved out here. I moved out here in 86. Uh-huh. So it must be nice in the suburbs as opposed to some major city. Like I'm sitting here right in the middle of, of uh, Hollywood on Cinco de Mayo. So for anyone who's listening, if you hear any explosions outside, that's what's happening. <laughs> um, because we're in explosion season. I mean, and Cinco de Mayo pretty much rolls right into the 4th of July, which starts like the day after Cinco de Mayo, as far as explosions <laughs> go. <laughs> yeah, that Detroit's pretty much like that, too. I know, huh? We're lucky that way, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, let's let's talk about, um, before we start getting into all your bands, let's talk about um, your young musical childhood or, you know, like, like growing up, what were your favorite bands? What were your favorite concerts that you went to? Or, you know, when did you know that you well, went to? I, I, I think like, you know, millions of my generation, it was the Beatles on Ed Sullivan that, uh, you know, got me started in music. And, oh, yeah, uh, I saw that. I yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was a big fan of... Uh, you know, AM radio used to listen to that all the time. And it's just kind of funny coincidences and things that brought me into music. Uh, my sister used to take uh, ballet lessons and I'd go to this rec center with my mom. And while we were waiting for her, I'd be playing all the latest hits on the jukebox. And I remember I'm playing uh, Jimmy Gilmer's Sugar Shack. I used to like that song a lot. And this kid comes up to the jukebox and he goes, where's the Beatles? Where's the Beatles? And I'm looking at him like, what are you talking about? Beatles? What's that? And he's like, where are the Beatles? And of course, it wasn't on the jukebox. But the next week when we went back, we go in there. And sure enough, on the jukebox was I want to hold your hand. And I saw her standing there. And I played it. And it just totally blew my mind. Just the sound that was coming out of that jukebox was just knocking me out. And yeah. from there, I was, uh, you know, saw them on Ed Sullivan and got into the British Invasion and I took some guitar lessons when I was about eight years old, and I totally hated it. Because it was acoustic, right? It was acoustic, and it was, you know, my mom's friend was giving the lessons, and it was all folk songs, and I just didn't care for it at all. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, my sis, my younger sister, Laurel, she used to 
take uh, classical guitar lessons and she took a uh, flamenco guitar when she was in junior high. So guitar was always lying around. And then I played the saxophone in the school band. Hot. And uh, yeah. No, I, 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 yeah. I played French horn in my school band because I liked the way it oh, looked, did but I didn't think of how impractical it would be carrying that motherfucker to and from school <laughs> on winter days. <laughs> I always wanted to play French horn, but I, I played saxophone. I played saxophone uh, all through school and through high school and college. I majored in music for a while, and so I didn't get along with the music department and bailed out of that. But anyway, so my sister uh, was taking classical guitar lessons and flamenco guitar. She got really good and until she got to high school and discovered boys and she put the guitar down so it was lying around the house and i just happened to pick it up and start playing it and uh and the total number of you know just kind of synchronistic events led me into rock and roll i managed to pick up an electric guitar and amp had in the basement and i was uh, at work one day in the summer came home from work and i go down in the basement i hear i hear a guitar playing i'm like well, who's playing my guitar and I go down there, and a couple of uh, my sister's classmates are down there playing the guitar. And I'm like, what are you guys doing here? My sister was nowhere in sight, of course. And, uh, you know, they told me they were just playing around, and I started hanging out with them. And uh, they played; they had played guitar, and I started picking things up from them. And then uh, at the time, I was, reading, I was going to college and reading Roxene and Cream Magazine religiously, seeing what was going on on the New York scene. Yeah, me too. I like a nonstop. I knew who everybody was, like in New York and LA, before I ever even went to either one of those places. Right, right. So did I. So finally, my my friend uh, Bobby Gervix and I decided to go to CBGBs, and we looked so out of place. You know, we were wearing polyester shirts and platform shoes. It was it was just so funny. <laughs> we looked like we just had fallen out of Studio Fifty Four. So we went to see uh, television and talking heads. Now I I knew who Television was from you know from the magazine I recognized them and as we as we get in front of CBGBs Tom Verlaine standing in front of the club and I recognize him my friend goes up to him he goes is this band any good and Tom <laughs> Verlaine turns around and gives him the dirtiest look you ever saw it was so funny I'm like you know who that was that was the singer of the band <laughs> oh my god at least he didn't say the Television sucks right <laughs> <laughs> right. So I get there, was standing at the bar in CBGB's, and I turn around. There's Joey Ramone on one side of me, Patty, Patty Smith's on the other side. I thought I had died and went to heaven. And then, of That's course, so cool. the music was just was just so incredible. I couldn't believe it. What what year was this? Tell me. Uh seventy six. Summer. 76. Oh, okay. Wow, early. Good. That's cool. That's so cool. Yeah. And that started my. Uh, you know, journey to CBGB's. I used to go there uh, religiously, you know, commute from Long Island, drive in there, and I'd go to shows constantly. And then uh, we started writing songs and playing, you know, put a, put a little band together. Didn't really do too much. And then... Uh, what band was that? I, I it was it was a band, uh, first it was called Dice, and then we called it The Magnets. And then... Uh, became the accidents oh okay yeah i was gonna ask you if it led to the accidents right and with the accidents a, a friend paul sass was a guitar player and uh 
both these guys, Bobby and Paul, were just brilliant, brilliant musicians, and I learned a bit from them. And we would sit around and write songs. In fact, when we came home from the television show, we started writing songs. And, uh, you know, I remembered like almost all the songs they played and Talking Heads, all the songs they played. And it was just, just the sound was mind blowing. That's so great. Yeah. And it was cool. I, I liken it to like Paris in the 20s. You know, that, you know I liken all of punk rock to that. I say that all the time. And I said that to my mom during punk rock. And she just mm-hmm. rolled her eyes at me and I said, no, you, it's going to, it's really going to be historic, you know? And and she just thought I was going through, in big giant air quotes, a phase. And I was like, this isn't a phase. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't have phases. <laughs> so my mother was real supportive. She was, she was a musician. She had played cello and piano. So there was always music playing in my house, so classical music or pop music. And I've always been uh, melody driven. You know, even though I started out in loud, abrasive uh, punk bands, I, I was always driven by melodies. And then once once we got the accidents going, we played around, uh, you know, locally. And, and then finally, we got an audition night at uh, CBGB's on a Tuesday night. And we were opening for this band, a friend of mine. In fact, our drummer was familiar with him because he was going to school in Dayton, Ohio at the time. And he he knew the band and was telling us about him. And it was the Dead Boys. Oh, awesome. And it was like one of the first times they played CBGBs. And uh, they were just uh, mind-blowing completely. This was this was when they all had long hair down to their waist. There was no bass player in the band. They came out. They did Sonic Reducer, and the microphone wasn't on. Stiff Baders was losing his mind. They played the whole song without uh, his mic turned on. And then finally they got it fixed and then they did the song again. I knew you were going to say that. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. So yeah, that, that that was great. That was like, you know, just a Tuesday night. And of course we played, we played the circuit kind of, it was Max's Kansas city or CBGB's. We just kept bouncing back and forth between them, but we just could never get that lucrative weekend gig. Right. Hilly liked this, and they liked this at Max's Kansas City, where for some reason we found ourselves opening for all the noise rock bands in New York. Uh, we opened for Von Elmo and Mars and DNA. Oh, my God, I forgot about Von Elmo. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which was kind of, you know, all these, like, synchronistic events in my life seemed to lead me to where I am today. And, you know, he used to come out with the chainsaw and, you know, and then later on, of course, that became Wendy's trademark. Yeah. When, when I was into plasmatics, uh, some weird things. Uh, before we had a singer, we, aud- we auditioned for this singer in, in Manhattan. So we went into audition for him in this rehearsal space. And while we're outside waiting to audition for the guy, I look in, in the window and I see this, this striking tall blonde guitar player. And I thought, huh, look at this guy. And we're waiting there, and then the singer comes out, and like so often happens in New York, he ran out of money, couldn't uh, afford this space anymore, so we didn't get a chance to audition. So fast forward, uh, you know, a few months later, and the accidents are playing at this uh, private party for some punk rock girl singer from England. I never even found out who she was, but we played there. And what was cool was I met a couple of uh, a couple of the local kind of legends in the world of rock uh lester bangs came to see us play 
and he really liked this. We played the song uh, "Talk Talk" by the Music Machine, and he's like, "Oh, that was that was really cool." And he later covered a Music Machine song in his band. But anyway, he was there. Billy Altman was there, and uh, talked to them for a while. And after our set, uh, our guitar player Joe Katz, who I think you know. Yeah, I'm, I'm really said, good friends with him, or I used to be. I mean, I still could probably just call uh -huh. him, but yeah, we hung out a lot. So anyway, he said there was this uh, loft party downtown hosted by this New York band. I hope I don't offend anybody, but this was their name. They were the New York Niggers. I don't know if you remember them. I, do, I don't remember them. They were an all-black punk rock band. And it's funny, there was three three bands called the Niggers at that time. There was two two bands in New York, and there was a band in Philadelphia. So this band changed their name. They added New York to the front of the name to kind of differentiate themselves. So anyway, we go downtown to this loft party, and I remember walking around, hanging out, and I walk past this table, and I look over, and I see this tall, blonde guitar player who I'd seen auditioning uh, for that singer and he's sitting there talking to this other guy at a table and I remember remembered him because he was so striking I said oh look there's that guy again so fast forward again about another few months and the accidents are breaking up and uh, we're kind of going our separate ways and answering adding the village voice my bass player John Carlucci or John Carl as he's known now uh, who's uh, played with the Speedies and the Fuzz Tones, and he's currently a DJ on Little Steven's Underground Garage. Uh, we auditioned for Helen Wheels. So we were auditioning for her, and the backing band was the Dictators. So I thought, then, this is really cool. So we're playing with the Dictators and just going over some things. But she wasn't there, of course. We were just running through the songs. And nothing happened with that. We never heard back from them. So I answered that in the Village Voice, looking for the world's fastest lead guitar player our world's fastest rhythm guitar player, sorry. And, you know, that was my forte, rhythm guitar. So I show up to the audition and uh, it's the Plasmatics. Now, Wendy wasn't there, but when I go to the audition, it's in the basement of this uh, rehearsal space in lower Manhattan. I go in and it's real dark and dank. And when the door opens, it's... Uh, that guitar player? Jose Funahara, the bass player. Who? Who was it? Oh, it was Jose Funahara, the band's bass player. And now here's here's another kind of weird synchronistic event, too, that led me there. Um, with the accidents, one night we were rehearsing in Manhattan, and we're done, our uh, time's up, and come out of the rehearsal room, and out of the other room, I see this guy come out who I knew from high school. And he comes over, he says, hey, my uh, aunt's boyfriend's band's auditioning at CBGB's. You want to go down and check them out? I says, okay, why not? So I go down to CBGB's, walk in, and it's the Plasmatics on their audition night play. Oh, wow. So I go in. It, yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. So I go in, you know, see them. I thought the music was terrible. I didn't care for it at all. But the singer was just totally riveting. Wendy was in this one-piece leopard skin print outfit. She just commanded the stage, walking back and forth and belting out the songs. And I thought, oh, that's that's pretty interesting. And I didn't really think much about it. And then when I auditioned for the band, uh, they were looking to bolster their attack by adding another guitar player because at the time they just had the one guitarist. And sure enough, it was the guy I had seen around for you know the last couple of years, Richie Stotts. And uh, 
while I was waiting to audition. And I, I picked up their 45. I learned learned all the songs on the, their independent 45. And they kept playing the song over and over again. I kept hearing them playing it. I guess they were teaching it to all the aspiring uh, auditioners. So I learned the song. And then when it was my turn to audition, I go in and uh, they showed me the song. I says, yeah, I know it. I heard it. Heard you playing it. And I played it. And then I said, uh, you know, I know the songs from your your EP. And they said, really? I said, yeah, I got to play those. I played those and duly impressed them. And then they invited me back two more times. And then they says, well, we really like you. We think we'd like to have you in the band, but uh, you seem to have a little bit of a weed problem. At the time I was working for the uh, County board of elections and I did have a tendency to overeat a little, put on a few extra pounds. So I went on this crash diet, eating nothing but avocados and black coffee for three weeks, lost 30 pounds and Joined the band. Wow, that's a, at first. That's great. At first, I thought you said a weed problem. <laughs> I was like, what were you passing out? And then, well, let's take a break for a little minute, and we'll we'll come right back with West Beach. You monkey suit! You just look like a monkey. <laughs> Hey, here we are back. Um, so, so what was the first gig you played it w- with them? Was that at CBGB? Or um, actually, it? not. It was at the CW Post College out on Long Island. And, and then and um, was, was this in 1979, wild. right? Yeah, this is in '79, spring of '79. And then the first time, then the next gig was at CBGB's. It was a weekend gig, a Friday and Saturday. It was the first time I ever played a weekend at CBGB's, which was really cool. And the band had already had a considerable amount of buzz. They were on the cover of the uh, Soho News, and there was an article in Q Magazine about Wendy, an interview with her. And I remember I had to fight my way to get backstage at CBGB's that first gig because the crowd was so packed there was lines waiting to get in cbs and it was really pretty amazing and i'm like i'm in the band i'm in the band people wouldn't let me get by i had to fight my way through <laughs> so it was it was really something to be playing a packed house at cbgb's on a friday night that's really cool i i when i was in new york in 1979 i went there um with with Kid Congo, and I thought I was going to stay two weeks, and then I stayed like four months. Um, <laughs> so that, was, <laughs> so that was, um, and that was, uh, like a like summer into into November, um, in New York. But I actually, um, Wendy was working at the same strip club that I was working at, and um in uh, on 34th street it was called the wild west and i saw her a couple of times and i knew who she was but a lot of punk rock girls were were there working lydia lunch was the one that got me the job there as a waitress and then when i saw how much money the dancers were making you know i was like i want to audition to dance and then um 
I was asking Lydia what you had to do because I'd never done that before. And she was saying, you know, do this, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, just bring your G-string and stuff. And I was like, I, I, you have to wear these kind of shoes. And I was like, I don't have a G-string. And she said, I'll let you borrow one. And then she she dug around and she got a black G-string out and threw it at me and said, wash it before you bring it back. <laughs> and so when I went in there, like, there was all these like girls and you know beautiful girls and this was pre-lap dances you know and we had to do b-girl stuff like we had to get men to buy us fake champagne which they thought was real and then we'd we'd be telling them stuff and like pouring it into an <laughs> ice bucket you know just like in sweet charity or something um but anyway so i my hair was bright pink and this was like pretty much the that I couldn't get hired anywhere. So this was that this was why I started working there. And I saw everyone else had all these, you know, like long Farrah hair, but then they'd go into the dressing room and they'd fucking whip it off and they'd all have like <laughs> insane punk rock, like manic panic hair and you know. That <laughs> was really wild. And I remember, did you ever go in there? Did you uh, probably I, I might have, yeah. Because there was some yeah, people like, some like, pretty. Sorry, go ahead. Pretty wild, pretty wild places. Yeah, like like all these, all everyone's like boyfriends would always come in, or like Paul Zone was always in there. He would just pop in to say hi, you know. What I mean? <laughs> so, oh yeah, I love the fast. I used to go see them all the time. I love them. And Lydia Lunch, I'm a big big fan of Lydia Lunch. I mean, I I loved her stuff. Yeah, I thought she was great. Yeah. One time we went to do a uh, photo shoot for Interview Magazine, where we we were on the cover, and uh, I ring the bell to the to the studio, and door opens up. I go, "Whisk Beach Plasmatics." She goes, "Lydia Lunch." I was like, "Lydia Lunch." I just couldn't believe it. She was opening the door. <laughs> I don't know what she was doing. Just maybe let me in. Just open it. Maybe she was just near it. Like I don't. Yeah, know. I think maybe so. She was working know. for them or anything. I don't know. I don't know. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon.
Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. But yeah, I think I think our pads probably crossed a number of times. I used to go to, to all the shows and uh, CBGBs, Max's Kansas City, and all the other weird clubs around the lower Manhattan and Midtown. You used to go see bands like uh, the Cramps and the Mumps. And oh, I'll, yeah, I lived, in the, I lived in the Mumps loft, like in their practice loft on Bowery and Grand. That was where Kid Congo and I were staying. And also, like, mm-hmm. Lydia, Lydia practiced there. The Senders practiced there. I'm trying. Um, and then Lydia's other band after. Yeah, the Senders. Yeah. The Senders, our, dr- our drummer from the accidents, Mark Borset, ended up playing with the drum with the uh, Senders for a while. Yeah, I liked the Senders. They were great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they were cool. That is, in that fact, is- everybody in the, in the accidents went on to bigger and better things. Uh, you know, I, of course, joined the Plasmatics. Joe Katz went to a band called The Ghosts and then went to Student Teachers and then the Cran- uh, to the Mumps. Yeah. And then uh, John John Carlucci went to the Speedies. And then later he played with the Fuzz Tones out in L.A. And uh, Mark Borset, he played with uh, Karen Lawrence and played with the Victims before playing with the Senders. So everybody in that band went on to bigger and better things. Yeah. I re- I remember um wait what was I gonna say I lost my train of thought woo woo um. <laughs> and then you mentioned manic panic before uh, in the accidents when I originally joined them the singers were Tish and Snooky who founded manic panic I love oh they were on, that's so cool I love talks. them I got to get them on here yeah 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 so definitely fun. what um what do you so, think so that was cool. What was your wildest gig from those days or with, uh, or at least with, with the plasmatics? Because I'm sure those gigs got insane. Oh, they were all, they were all insane. I mean, we had, we had crowds that were just, uh, with rabid. We used to, we used to joke about it. You get all, we used to call them the Wendy perverts crowding the front of the stage, trying to grab a Wendy. And, uh, one, one gig said guy grabbed her and she took the, Mike stand and slammed him in the forehead and his blood dripping down his face. And Where was that? Was that in New York? Uh, that Yeah, that was in New York. That was in a club out on Long Island. And uh, there, was a, there was another time, this, this little bar in New Jersey where the stage was behind the bar. So you're up on this, this stage and you kind of had to duck down or your head would hit the ceiling. Was that And Max I remember was? Richie running on the uh no, no, it wasn't Maxwell. Okay. It was just some some okay. crazy bar. I don't know where it was. So but Richie was uh, 
Richie was dancing across the stage, knocking drinks over. He'd grab people's drinks and take a drink and then put it down in front of them. And that, that was pretty crazy. <laughs> and another time, and we're playing this club out on Long Island called Spit. And uh, Richie, Richie's grabbing the pipes on the ceiling, going across the ceiling. And he, he lost his grip and fell down and uh, on top of one of the fans and got into a little scuffle with them on the floor. And there's all, all kinds of stuff like that going on. And I remember at CB's, one gig we were playing there, and it was really packed. And all of a sudden, from the back of the club, you see this kind of ripple going through the crowd. And I'm thinking, well, what the hell is that? And there were these two giant Hell's Angels with folding chairs come right up to the front of the stage, plop the chairs down, and sit down right in front of the stage watching Wendy. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you remember CBGB's a couple blocks over on Third Yeah, from, Avenue, fourth, was, from like, fourth Street, right? From Fourth. Yeah, th- yeah, I think Third Fourth. There was the Hell's Angels Clubhouse. Yeah, every, and, everyone, uh, everyone knew that. I'm telling this to the listeners on on Fourth Street. It was the Hell's Angels Clubhouse, and that street never had any crime on it. And if you were, you know, you could you could walk down it at your own risk, or. <laughs> It was a, and they they could control the street lights. They could turn on and off the street lights, which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I heard all sorts of crazy crazy things about it. And then, like we, Kid Congo and I would just like sort of look at it and like try to see if we could see bikes parked on it or you know. But we never we never went there yeah, because yeah. like everyone was saying, don't don't go on Fourth Street. <laughs> yeah, yeah, their bikes they were lined up, but almost like the whole block they were just lined up. Yeah, like a police parking lot, except with the Hells Angels. <laughs> <laughs> and we used to do this thing with the band. We used to call it the chicken gag. And, and uh, we'd get these chickens from a slaughterhouse and would put these cages up on the ceiling at CBGB's or other clubs we played at. And at a certain point in, in the show, Wendy would uh, take her shotgun and shoot towards the ceiling and then they'd they'd release the chickens and these chickens would be running around the stage. The roadies would be out trying to corral them and grab them. It was just like total pandemonium. And Wendy used to like to think that we were, we were giving those chickens a chance at the stardom by having them come out on the stage. And we spared them from ending up on somebody's table, which they eventually did because we'd have to return them on the following Monday after the weekend of the shows. That's weird. One time uh, when my band, The Screaming Sirens, was on stage in Huntington Beach, there was this whole sort of scuffle going on with a bunch of guys rolling around on the stage. It wasn't stage diving. And I couldn't I couldn't tell what was happening. And so um, between songs, I yelled, what the fuck are you guys doing down there? And they were trying to stuff a chicken into our bass drum. And I was like, where did you get a chicken? And then just suddenly it wasn't in the club. I mean, I don't know if it was someone's chicken or if they found it. I mean, I have no clue. <laughs> and Wendy, Wendy always talk about maybe getting some pigs to bring on stage. Or yeah, what? Like pigs? That. That, yeah, pigs. But that never happened. We never did that. Didn't she wind up doing like a lot of, um, a lot of um, animal rescue? Yes, yeah, she she ended up as a wildlife animal rehabilitator. Uh, and when, when like when, when what down. year was that, or when was that kind of? Um, that had to be like in uh, eighty eight, eighty nine. Maybe she, maybe she was making up for her chicken sins. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh huh. 
um yeah i remember i remember um i remember hearing about that and i thought that was so great you know and when we were on we were on tour in texas once and uh some guy write the scathing editorial about how we abused animals and were killing animals and wendy was a total animal lover and you know she was she she would never hurt hurt any animals and this guy right just wrote this crazy article and we and we got a lot of bad publicity from that. I think I remember some of that, honestly, but I do also remember that like that I knew that she worked with animals or wildlife a lot, you know. So uh-huh. you know, yeah. is lame sometimes. Uh-huh. When we started out in the pre-MTV era, you know, people in the Midwest and the South, they had no clue about us. And you know, would come to town and we just totally freak them out. There'd be uh, protests and all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, you were like Satanists or something. Or, right. Or just immoral. Like when my my band started touring in the 80s. And so I think when was MTV? I think it was 83 or 84, maybe. I can't remember. But right after when MTV was a thing, we started touring and, um, we had gone to some places that weren't like all across the country first. And people would just look at us like we were like a zombie attack or something. But then when we went, when we made our first cross country tour, that's when, uh, you know, people knew what MTV was and we'd be at like a truck stop or something and people would be giving us double takes and stares. And then finally would someone say, are y'all in a band? And we'd say, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> Right. That's exactly the kind of reception you get. I mean, I remember walking, we'd walk into a McDonald's or something and, and all of a sudden everybody would stare at us. People would come out of the back to stare at us. You know, they'd never seen anything like that. Before. Grab their kids' hands so, and lead them outside. It was outside. so alien. To them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, was so, it was so alien to them. They just didn't know what to do or, or what to think. And another time we're, we're in Texas, we pull up to this truck stop. And we had a black bass player at the time, John Beauvoir, and he had this white mohawk. So we go up to the truck stop door, and there's this big burly guy, this huge guy standing in the doorway. He takes takes one look at us. He goes, there's nothing in here for you boys. And we go, okay, no problem. We'll we'll go. And John is like, he's a a younger guy and a little kind of wet behind the ears. He's like, oh, no, no, I just want to go in there and get somewhere. Like, no, John, you don't want to go in. It's like. Yeah, yeah, I just want to go in there. We had to physically drag him out and say, no, you don't. And and those like, kind of things would happen to us uh, often, especially especially down uh, south. Oh, yeah, down Another south. Another time we walked like... into a... Oh, yeah. We walk into a restaurant, you know, and our, and our band and crew, we probably had uh, about eight or nine people. We go into the restaurant and this family sitting at the next table over, the father stands up and he announces real loud. He's like... I don't have to be subjected to this kind of thing. And he takes his family of four and leaves. Oh my God. And, and things like <laughs> that. You know, so hey, right. Yeah. Like we just totally ruined his day. I don't have to be subjected to this kind of thing. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna save that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> and another time we were in Detroit, in fact, that we stopped at a White Castle. Uh, at about 2.30 in the morning in a really bad neighborhood. And our drummer, T.T. Tolliver, he was black, and he wouldn't even go in there. He's like, I'm just going to wait here for you guys. And, you know, we walk in. It was just 
total silence. So, you know, everybody just staring at us, you know, but nobody bothered us. And we, we never really had too much trouble. Although in a lot of towns, uh, you know, the locals would want to want to fight with us because, you know, their girlfriends were attracted to us or whatever. And, we, you know, they made a big splash. So Richie and I were always getting in, into fights and people wanted to, to fight with us. And one time in Boston, I remember I'm sitting at the bar and my, uh, my uh, road manager kept giving me quaaludes. So I wasn't feeling any pain. I stumbled out of the bar and this guy wanted to pick a fight with me and I just fell into the gutter. It's like... <laughs> Couldn't even stand up. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with, with Wes for more for more touring insanity, more 80s tour insanities. Here we are. We're back and we loud. Um, so, and any uh, any other like gems like that? <laughs> <laughs> well, we always love playing in uh, California. In fact, Wendy, Wendy, and our manager Rod Swenson, they they loved uh, California, and we'd always uh, schedule tours and things in January and February, the coldest times in New York. So we'd be out west. And we kind of make our base camp at the Tropicana Hotel in Highland. Oh, like everyone, yes. Oh, yeah. There were so many, so many colorful uh, characters there. We made a lot of, lot of bands and things there and hung out. I used to hang out at the whiskey and all the clubs down in Hollywood and just had a great time. Didn't seem like anybody, anybody worked. Oh yeah, I know, huh? Everyone was like an well, everyone was like an actor or something that was working in a gas station. <laughs> um, right, right. It seemed like nobody worked and there were all these crazy people around. The Tropicana Motel for anyone um who's listening was it was it was like the, the Los Angeles equivalent of of um the Chelsea Hotel. Like some people lived there, like Tom Waits lived there. I don't know if you knew that, Wes, but yes. Um, uh -huh. And then the mumps lived there for months. You know the the mumps and their manager Joseph Flurry. But um, at the Tropicana, they after a while they painted the swimming pool black, and um, everyone's like, "What they do that for?" And my my idea of why they did that, although I never asked, was um, I think they because so many bands and people were having wild parties that all the lawn furniture would wind up in the um in the swimming pool and there there was rust marks all over it because sometimes the, there'd be like like you know how you just said the hell's angels dragged chairs up to the stage in front of CBGBs <laughs> there was like chase lounges and lawn chairs like just on the bottom of the Tropicana swimming pool for me <laughs> so I think I think the whole pool just got discolored and they just painted it black to sort of make it we used to call it the Black Lagoon, but um, were you? Did you happen to be? There was one crazy night 
when Blondie was in town, but so was a bunch of other bands. We do you do you remember anything like that from the Tropicana? Because there was like I think no. the boys might have been there too. Like I, you know, like that there was just it. It was that was like one of the wildest parties ever. Like pretty much. Mm-hmm. Also, the Tropicana always had rooms that were called shorts for the hookers that um were out. You know, there was a lot of female hookers on Santa Monica Boulevard then. You know. Mm-hmm. So were you? Yeah, it was. It was always wild. Always wild parties going on there. Remember one time I came back to my room and I go in there and and Chris Spedding is standing in the living room and I'm a big Chris Spedding fan. Of your room, and like just, in of that like, suite. So he was just oh, sweet, right? Right in the living room. Yeah, he was. He was waiting for for a girl. He was. He was meeting. She was going to meet him there. So how he got in there, I don't know. Was it? I thought that was pretty cool. Was it room one hundred A? Do you remember that? Oh, uh, I couldn't. I couldn't remember. I know oh, it was okay. on the. Because they it was have... on the lower lower level. Oh, it was one hundred A then. I'm pretty sure because um, one hundred A like it was. It had a few rooms in it, and they, you know, it was like it was like like the Cramps stayed there for months. Levi and the Rockettes mm-hmm. stayed there for months, and that that that's so crazy though that you walked in and Chris Spedding was just in your room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was wild. He had his pink shark sharkskin suit on, and he just looked great. And like I said, I was a big Chris Spedding fan. I'd seen his band play the day before. He was playing at the Whiskey, and, and it was great. It was, it was wild. That is crazy. And then we played uh, on one tour. We played the Santa Monica Civic Center. Oh yeah, that place is great too. Yeah, yeah, that that was that was real cool. And some uh, punk fan got on stage and was uh, dancing on stage and slammed into me, broke the headstock off my guitar, which really pissed me off. Oh shit! But after the show, David Lee Roth came backstage to see us and talked to us and met him and you know he was this guy i wasn't really into van halen at the time but i knew who he was and i figured you know this guy is going to be you know he came off as just like this big rock star and thought he was going to be a big asshole but he was like the coolest guy guy i ever met he was and, so nice uh, and he he, he loved was so nice punk. yeah he loved punk he used to hang out at the whiskey all the time and watch punk bands yeah, he loved, He was a big fan of Wendy, and he was telling us all kinds of stories of the road and how to how to do things and how to you know promote the band. And he was big into merchandising and T-shirt sales. He said they made a lot of money on that. And he's like, uh, "Your face on their back." <laughs> so he hung out with us, and then uh, we went to me and Richie went to a Grace Jones show. She was playing at the Palladium and we're sitting there and David Lee Roth, David Lee Roth came over to our table, was talking to us. He invited us to a party afterwards, which was cool. We went to this party and hung out with him, And and then he drove us, him and uh, his, his, I guess it was his manager at the time, drove us in his car. He was driving his Mercedes, drove us to the Starwood. Oh, I love the Starwood. You saw the Blasters? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. Was mm-hmm. it? I'm going to ask you. Was it the night that um, their drummer's hand was bleeding all over the stage? Ah, uh, I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, you I, would I, you I would have noticed know. this. this I, I just uh-huh. thought that might be a synchronicity. This was a a show. Yeah. Where, um, 
I'm not going to tell you like, yeah, the so he, whole story of it, but he sliced uh, his hand somehow on one of the crash symbols, and it just started pumping blood. And everyone thought it was a special effect in the audience. You know what I mean? Like, which would be like with the plasmatics uh-huh. or something, but not the blasters. And then when the rest of the band noticed, like the like people were screaming, not like how you just scream because you like a song, and when they noticed, they just like stopped everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that that was cool when we came up well yeah i love the starwood i used to go see a number number of bands there when we went to hollywood anytime and rodney we met rodney and he was really cool yeah and fast freddy was it rodney and fast freddy were the djs there and the the, the starwood just had i i started going to the starwood the first time i went was um in 19 19- it was uh, 1977 when the Damned played there. Or actually, I'd been there. No, I'd been there a few more times. But in 1977 was the first time I stayed out all night. And then after that, I would just tell my mom I was going to the library and I'd take my school books, including like those big notebooks. And I would just fucking like, I'd walk upstairs to the VIP bar and park them behind the bar. And they knew I was a minor. And <laughs> I would just go and hang out backstage up there. <laughs> I think there was a lot of miners in the Starwood, right? Oh yeah, there was miners in the Starwood, but I mean, the fact that you're a miner just putting your school books at, behind the bar and then <laughs> not like getting served at the bar. I mean, I don't, I don't think everyone was doing that. Otherwise, that place would have been closed. But you know who owned that place, right? Uh, who? Eddie Nash from like the Laurel Canyon murders and all of all hmm. of that. Oh, I didn't. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, he might. He might. I. I can't even remember if he's still alive. Hi, Eddie. <laughs> no, no besmirching of your name intended. <laughs> yeah, that place was. Oh yeah, we we always we always had fun in uh, in Hollywood. And then another time we when we did the uh, Fridays TV show, we met a couple of uh, fans and they took us out to the Odyssey. Oh my God! I used to go there. Me and Jim Jet used to go there all the time. We got we got thrown out one time for wearing leather jackets at the beginning of <laughs> Punk because they looked at us and said, "You look trashy," and they wouldn't let us in. So after after we did Fridays, uh, you know, this this guy gave us all acid, so we dropped some acid, and we go to the Odyssey. We didn't know what was going on. Oh yeah, the audience. The 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 Odyssey was a big giant gay disco in West Hollywood. Yeah, we didn't we didn't know that at the time. I uh, I remember going upstairs and they're playing gladiator movies, and I say something something (laughs) doesn't seem quite right here. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I remember remember this girl comes up, gives me a drink, and like uh, okay. And uh, I guess the DJ there was fans of ours, and when we we went up and met him in the DJ booth and he played one of our songs, Monkey Suit, and it cleared the dance floor completely. I thought that was pretty funny. It was too fast for them, so everybody stopped dancing. That's hilarious. And I remember seeing this cheerleader I remember seeing this cheerleader walking around there and all these these characters and and I really didn't put two and two together until we were leaving at six in the morning and the sun's coming up. And I see the cheerleader out front, and she's got a big five o'clock shadow on her face. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> now I know what's going on. Because I didn't have a clue up until that point. 
my god, that's really good. That was a pretty that was a wild club. That was a wild, wild club. Yes. I I could mm -hmm. I, I could go on and on, but this is your interview. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I will tell you one thing, which is funny, and just everyone, everyone that's listening might think it's funny. Every second person you bumped into at the Odyssey, their last name was Bowie. Like, there was Kim Bowie, <laughs> um, Kim Girl Bowie, Kim Boy Bowie, and then I'm like Rick Bowie, and this one, but yeah, it was. The Odyssey was a bunch of like, um, it was a bunch of like. Uh, Quaaludes and poppers and underage drinking and um, yeah, it was really fun. It was very fun. Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, where where I we need to talk now with you about um, like what you're doing currently because we're we are almost at the end of our of our program. Well, currently I'm uh, I still write a lot of songs and I find. But in my old age, I've, I've really become prolific. So I've been writing a lot of songs. I've got a lot of a lot of things I'm working on, projects. So just trying to find time to do them all. I know I'm working too, on right? doing Yeah, yeah. Trying to work on a remake of a song, It's My Life, which was written by uh, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. And it was on Wendy's solo album. I'm doing a version of that. It's going to have uh, Ace Von Johnson from L.A. Guns. Oh, I love it. him. He's great. Yeah, I do too. He's he's such a cool guy. I heard uh, your interview with him, and that was really good. Hi, Ace. And I, I became, <laughs> hey, Ace, how's it going? I became friends with him on Twitter, and he's oh, a really, really cool guy. So, I'd, yes, uh huh. Everybody so should I've been working on Twitter. That. It's Rockstar Central. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't, I, we I don't need no stinking blue checks. <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> I find uh, Facebook too intrusive, so I stay away from that. But Twitter's a lot of fun. I've met a lot of people on there. and I've done some podcasts from, from meeting people on Twitter. And oh, you mean I'm you not on Twitter. first? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm working on that, and he's going to have time down from uh, Faster Pussycat sing on it. And I'm oh, getting cool. uh, T.C. Tolliver play drums in Wendy's band. He's going to play on it. So been working on that and then i've got another song i'm sending to a guy named bloody mess for his 40th anniversary album so working on that and just just keeping real busy and, uh, that's great bloody, so not enough bloody hours mess. huh i just said his name bloody mess that's great oh bloody mess uh-huh and just enough just not enough hours in the day to do everything i'd like to do i mean i, I hardly sleep anymore that's exactly me at, too. You know, it, it's yeah, crazy. I get up at twelve thirty. I stay up all all night and uh, watch YouTube, check my Twitter feed, and play guitar. It's, I think I keep I more know. nocturnal hours now almost than I did when I was a, a, a rock and roll kid. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm like you. I'm up. Right. sometimes I like my my neighbor who's like she's like twenty two. <laughs> like she'll she'll come home after her job which is like regular hours job and she'll say yeah i saw you were still awake when i was leaving for work this morning because she leaves at like <laughs> five in the morning uh -huh. <laughs> yeah yep i guess i guess the older you get the more you realize how precious uh, life and time is 
just try and fit so much into the day. Yeah. And I listen listen to a lot of music and uh, listen to, you know, Little Steven's Underground Garage and some of the DJs on there. A lot of, lot of good music. My friend uh, John's show is on from uh, 4 in the morning to 8 in the morning on Sunday. So That's tune a- into that. Speedy John's show. <laughs> So um, what t- tell before we go, tell um, tell us all what your what your main inspiration is right now, whether it's music or not music. Like, what's what are you obsessed with right now? Yeah, music. I've I've always been obsessed with music. And anything really... besides that, like any any kind of weird little fun secrets we don't know about you. <laughs> well, a big, big fan of uh, girl group sounds in the 60s. And oh, I love that. Surf and high ride music. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up on that stuff. And, and to this day, I mean, you know, I, I play loud, abrasive rock music, but I love melody. I've always been uh, melody driven. And I love, uh, you know, the Beach Boys and four part harmonies and the Beatles. Oh, my God, I know. I. I taught myself how to how to um when I was starting my band the Scream and Silence, I used to listen to the Beach Boys and or Jan and Dean or Girl Group. Oh, I love Jan. I love Jan and Dean. But I would follow. I'd follow like one. I would make charts, and and this wasn't music charts because I knew nothing about music. But I would follow one person's voice all the way through the um the song and I'd be like writing with like a pen or a pencil of where it went up and when it went down. And then another ones that would be like a flat line or something, you know what I mean? And that was how Mm -hmm. I figured out how to arrange harmonies. Hmm. Like a nut with like a pen and a piece of paper, because I was (laughs) like, how do they do that? You know? So. (laughs) Uh Well, you listen to some of those beach boys harmonies and they they just bring a tear to your eye. They're just so incredible. And I, and I love, uh, Listening to demo recordings, I've got all these demo recordings and all these Beach Boys recordings are just the vocals. And oh just yeah, listening to that with no backing tracks is just amazing. Yeah, like they could have just done a, a choral group or an a cappella group, even. Mm-hmm. Right, right, exactly. And yeah. then I, I, collect, I collect records and guitars, and you know, you can see behind me some of my crap in my office, which is just crammed full of stuff you can hardly i can hardly walk in this place <laughs> I know, that's like my house my house is full of like costumes and like art projects <laughs> and cats laying on top of every surface okay tmi right now <laughs> <laughs> um it's been and then of course, nice to talk to you yeah and then of course you know getting into all these uh the psychic world and that kind of thing Wait, you are? You're you're in it? In the psychic world? Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, yeah. well, we can't go yet. Tell me, tell me more. Tell everyone more. Well, well, I have like, you know, kind of a heightened psychic awareness that, you know, I become more in tune with the older I get. You know, I've always had this kind of ability since since a young age. And the older I get, the more aware of it I am. And I see all these see all these different patterns in things. Yeah, when you were just, talking about synchronicity earlier, I should have asked you. Right, right, and and I was I was into that with uh, Wendy. I started getting into that and reading about it, and uh, I found that whole idea of synchronicity fascinating. And then seeing so many 
uh, examples of it in my life over the years. And Me too. Even, even going back and things. Yeah, yeah, all the time. And like I said, I see all these patterns and things, which which is really which is really weird. Like I'll see a number or something that'll keep recurring. Like eleven eleven. Yeah, eleven eleven. Like now. look, see? And, uh, I'm showing him my eleven eleven tattoo for the audience. <laughs> nice. <laughs> We're on, we're on Zoom and you're not. Sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> and then I see things like, and I don't know if you've, you've picked up on this, but I've noticed that in, on your shows, it seems like with almost every guest you have on, they've been at some of the same shows that you've been at and you haven't, didn't meet them there or weren't aware of that. I know it's, and oh. I think that's the same with me that, you know, we've been to many of the same shows and many of the same areas and just really strange you know where I, I guess you know we're all interconnected on the on the astral plane somewhere yeah i mean that all of all of that stuff is so so crazy to me um like for years i never really got into astrology or anything like that until one day we're on the road and my drummer tc tolliver's birthday is like two days before mine and we're really close we're both cancers and uh you know, we have uh, have a real unique bond. We're almost like brothers. So I pick up this magazine, astrology magazine, and it had uh, all these birthdays listed and and different uh, characteristics for that birthday. And that his birthday expressed him right to a T. It was him exactly. And then two days later, my birthday, and it was me right to the letter. And since then, I've kind of taken astrology a bit more serious. Yes, and, and, and I'm it's gonna... pretty fascinating. I'm going to tell everyone, too, this isn't exactly astrology, but not only is it Cinco de Mayo, we're recording this on a full moon, and, and there was an eclipse today. So that's always, like, really, eclipses are really magical. Right, and the full moon, you know, as, as a Cancer and a moon child, I'm I'm definitely feel and see the effects of the full moon. Oh, me too. That's, that's my rising sign, Cancer. Do you know what your other signs are? Like, do you know? Uh, no, your moon I, I don't. No, um, I, I will find out though. I have a cousin who's who's very big into that and wants to wants to. Yeah, find out because your moon sign tells a lot about you. Like that's why a lot of times people don't think that I'm a um, they don't think that I'm a Pisces because my moon sign is a Gemini and that's someone that like talks a lot and thinks a lot and is noisy and loud it's like sort of like I don't present as a Pisces unless you know about all the psychic <laughs> insanity and woo -woo shit that goes on with me. So my, my wife is a Pisces and my uh my sister's a Pisces so oh cool I'm quite familiar with the Pisces girl girl Pisces are better than boy Pisces I just have to say girl Anyway, and so it was such a pleasure talking to you and, and we'll we will talk more in real life on the phone. But for you guys, that's all you get today of West Beach. But he's just great. I can't wait until your new project comes out. So um I will or you guys will hear me on the next episode. And I hope everyone has had a wonderful springtime. And um, thank you so much, Wes. Mwah. Thank you.
The Devil's Music is written and hosted by Pleasant Gaiman. Produced by Aaron Alden. All sound design by Jerry Danielson of Busy Signal Studios. And of course, is part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Find all of our shows at pantheonpodcasts.com. Our social presence is at Pantheon Podcasts on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found wherever you get great music. Please pick up these important and fantastic tracks. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.